This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of having a 20-year-old friend straight from Harvard Business School by way of Princeton on the track team and now running through the Planet Fitness Network, Omar Simmons. Omar, welcome hey. to the show. Thanks for having me, Pete. Great to be here. Great. So uh, as I mentioned, Omar and I have known each other now for, for 20 years and used to uh, play some pickup ball back in uh, Harvard Business School when I could lure anybody into the gym. Uh, and we've kept in touch over the years. Uh, Omar, you want to give our audience a little bit of your personal background and your, your road through private equity and then maybe uh, hit pause when you get to start and exult there? Yeah, sure. I'll give you a little bit about the personal background. I, I probably should say the highlight was when I used to uh, be able to dunk on uh, Pete back when I had uh, you know ups and uh, ligaments in my knee, but that was a long time ago. Yeah, there, were no, uh, there, were no look, there were no phones on your, uh, on your, uh, there were no cameras on the phone then. So you actually can't, you have no witness to that, but I can't can. prove it. My kids don't believe me, but that was, I did have ups. <laughs> I, can, I saw you did. I seen you dunk before. It was impressive <laughs> at the time. I was never looking up at you, but I saw you from afar. You saw it from afar. <laughs> so I got some, I got, I got my round was uh, in consulting, private equity, went to HBS. That's where Pete and I met. Went back into private equity, worked at a firm uh, then called McCowan Deleu, um, did a deal called 24-Hour Fitness, worked on that deal that was incredibly successful. We kept it in the fund like 10 years, made about 11 times its money. Then back to uh, Windjammer Capital most recently, another top quartile fund here in the Boston area, which is my hometown. And then got the entrepreneurial uh, itch to uh, go out and do something that combined uh, private equity and operations. The one thing I always enjoyed doing was being closer and working closer with the portfolio companies. Um, and so I didn't know what you called it then, but I think the idea was I didn't want to run the business necessarily like a search fund, but I wanted to be more hands-on than a stock picker. And so I uh, looked for a business where I could be effectively the uh, executive chairman. And you know, we'll probably talk about that later, but I ended up getting into the planet system looking for that company and that ended up being the target that we acquired. Gotcha. So, so when you started exalt there, uh, give me like an age range of when you felt like, all right, I'm, I'm, I've done enough. I got enough experience. I can basically go run my own fund and I can go in and get capital and raise capital for that. So what's like the average? Cause some guys are doing it way younger than I think they should. Um, and maybe when you're too old, it's like, well, you know, why are you coming to me now? So like, what, what do you think like the sweet spot is for, you know, launching your own firm or launching your own, you know, independent sponsor? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think of it as phases and it depends a little bit on your personal experience. So I worked at Summit Partners before business school and a little bit of PE experience for me, I wouldn't have been ready post B school. And so I wanted to get some more training worked at two other, uh, three other, you know, kind of firms, all of them, you know, pretty much top quartile. And so I learned some things and some of them screwed up. So I learned some things to do and some things not to do. And so for me, that was the first piece. Do I know what I'm doing? Do I have enough experience? Even though I'm willing to bet on myself, have I seen enough? Because I think private equity and a lot of businesses are like this. It's almost like an apprenticeship business. You got to do it. You can't read a book about it. I think the second thing is your balance sheet, right? Like how much risk can you absorb? I had, you know, I took a risk joining a small fund in Chicago called Reliant Equity Investors after McCowan Blue. 
at that point, we raised a small fund, like 120 million bucks. You know, I was a partner there, got to lead deals. It was a lot of fun. Ultimately, that risk showed me that I could do this on my own. I didn't need a big brand, but it wasn't fruitful enough that I'm still there, right? I don't even think the fund's around anymore. So I um, ultimately said, look, I need to kind of get my personal balance sheet in order and be more clear on, you know, what areas of private equity I want to focus on. Because I look, I had three kids in private school. They're still in private school. I had a wife that's home that takes care of them. You know, there were just some economic issues I had to think through. And so I had to have enough money in the bank that I could fund my own entrepreneurial pursuit. Because if I can't fund it, it's hard to ask other people to do it. Gotcha. So, so your, your, your fund now is called Exalt Air Capital. So if you Google or if you go to a dictionary and look at the word Exalt Air, it is to elevate from something. So were you elevating above what a traditional private equity firm's reputation might be of, you know, oh, private equity guys, those guys are okay guys, but like when push comes to shove, they might not be the nicest guys in the room. Were you elevating yourself personally to say, hey, I could do this and this is my coming out party as my own firm? Like what, what was, how'd you land on Exultair and what does it mean to you now? Yeah, and that's a great question. Uh, so look, I'd say there's a couple of things. So one, you know, we think of exaltair as, you know, to exalt something, right? So for us, that's a spiritual thing, right? To, that there's things that are more important than just us that we try to work for and try to achieve in the world. Uh, the second is to exalt any of the businesses that we buy, partner with, or invest in. And so the idea is we're going to only invest in businesses we think that are pretty darn good and have a reason for being. But it's not sufficient to just leverage the fact that they're good. It's that we have to add value and we have to make it a better business after we've been involved in it. And so that's really the key that we try to get better every day and everything that we do. And we kind of pride ourselves to being more than just capital. You know, we're a hybrid, right? Like we use a lot of private equity techniques, but we don't think of ourselves as a traditional private equity firm. One, because we are probably a little bit more operationally oriented. We don't try to be invasive, but we have run businesses and we want to be more value added. I think the second is um, we only focus on a select number of companies in any one time. Most of the firms I were at would have 12, 20 portfolio companies. And, you know, you think about the world differently when you have that many children. You know, right now, our only investment. We care a lot about it. And so when we're talking to an entrepreneur, if we are going to invest our time, money, and energy, it's got to work. There's real alignment of interest because we're not, you know, doing this just to raise another. Yes. Yeah, so you're not like playing a, a portfolio three game by, by any regards. When somebody says, hey, I want to get private equity exposure. If you're, if you're an investor and exalted, you're getting a private equity deal or a couple of deals, but you know, we're not here to diversify a risk. We're actually, we've already diversified it by picking companies that we're going to do everything we can and make successful and not assume that, you know, eight out of 10 are going to be good exits. Two are going to go into bankruptcy and, you know, a couple are just going to kind of, you know, flail, you know, and just kind of stay alive. That's exactly right. Look, the traditional private equity model is you have a lot of portfolio companies. You diversify your risk through diversification. For us, we mitigate our risk by paying attention, being value added, and being focused on a few things. And so it's just a different approach. Rather than having, you know, 20 things to worry about, 
we got, you know, a small number and we've always committed to eliminating that number. Um, now, now, now you referenced before you got three kids and now you got one portfolio company. So you got four kids basically. Yeah. I think um, I, uh, sometimes I'm in bucket. So <laughs> yeah. You. So what, what, one of the things I had a question for you on, you know, and now you've got a dedicated fund, I know at, at exalt there. Um, but when you started and did your first deal, you know, you would be considered a, an independent sponsor. I just wanted to test you for a second. Are you an independent sponsor at that time? Or are you a dependent sponsor? Cause you're dependent <laughs> on getting the money. So you're independent uh, in signing a deal, but that deal is not getting done. You're depending on hopefully getting the money from someone. Do you feel like they may be like misnamed by any chance? Yeah, that, that's probably a more accurate uh, description. Look, when I did it, I didn't know. I didn't know what the name was. I didn't know what it was. I wanted to do exactly what we're doing now. I wanted to say, look, I want to have two or three businesses. I want to be like a business owner. I want to use all my private equity experience and access to capital, but I don't have a fund. So I can do everything a fund can do. I've worked in all these funds for decades, and I just need to partner up with people on individual deal-by-deal basis. I don't think it had a really great name. Uh, we used to look at people like that when I was at Windjammer as a potential funder. Started out as more fundless sponsor. And then, you know, as more people started doing it, they wanted to make it sound more palatable and uh, independent sponsors seem more dignified. But, you know, the reality is you are pretty dependent on the, the capital markets, whatever your equity partners are. But in some ways, some people think it's pretty liberating, right? I have a lot of friends that have gone this route and they mm-hmm. like the fact they're not in this really limited box, right? If you raise money from institutional capital providers, you got to say, look, I only do deals like this, right? Certain size, certain industry, certain stage, and maybe you don't leverage all of your expertise and network. And so, you know. Yeah, it makes sense. So let's spend a couple of minutes when you got into the, uh, to the planet network and, and you and I have spoke, I'd say we at least spoke annually almost, you know, every year since business school. I don't think we really, lost touch at all. Um, you know, when you call me up and say, Hey, I'm thinking about buying a planet and this was before TSG got involved. Um, and you were probably the the second, you know, financial group in the system. You called me up and said, Hey, I want to buy the, uh, I'm going to go buy the planets in, uh, in Connecticut. I think you called me just to kind of get my blessing. <laughs> and I said, Hey man, like I like planet a lot. I just don't like it in Connecticut because the, the edge fitness is there. And I felt like, you know, they had a pretty strong operational model. Um, obviously, you've gone on to to prove me wrong um, and picked up some additional territory. But what kind of gave you the conviction at the time to say, you know, I kind of see around the corner and everything that's going on right now is, is obvious when every private equity group calls us up and say, hey, I want to invest in Planet Fitness. I'm like, yeah, you and 20 other guys, you know, you kind of missed that, you know, initial you know, train, um, what kind of give, gave you the conviction, not just like, Hey, the unit economics look good here, but what did you see that other people didn't see? Yeah. Again, that's a great question. And you were, you know, I think my first call, uh, cause at first we didn't really like it, <laughs> but part of that was, you know, uh, the business was a little undermanaged and it was just flat, right. They weren't growing really fast. Look, what I what I saw was a very resilient, differentiated model. So I had been in and around health clubs before. I think you helped me better understand what bet we were making. 
But at the end of the day, it had unique culture, uh, judgment-free zone. It had a unique set of colors, a unique pricing model. It was different. And it wasn't for everyone, right? Like my wife hated it when she first went there. But the fact that there was differentiation in a health club caught my attention. The second thing was the thing was really stable. So you could say, oh, it's flat because of negative, but you could say, oh, it's pretty darn stable despite it, you know, being a little undermanaged, right? And having really tough competition. Not only was Edge there, Crunch was moving in, a uh, bunch of other independents right outside of New York. You know, it was a tough market, but you could make money. And at the end of the day, it was a good example for it, it fit what we were looking for. It was a fundamentally sound business that had a reason for being. The sellers were willing to roll over a little bit of equity because they wanted to partner with someone to help them figure it out. And we thought we could add more than capital. Now, it ended up that we actually ran the business. I became the CEO for, you know, uh, the interim took about two and a half, two and a half, almost three years. But at the end of the day, we said we got a stable platform. Then as we learned more about the model, to your point, there were acquisition opportunities and the development opportunities were kind of extraordinary. So it was hard to tell all that at the time. It was really hard to raise capital. You know, people didn't know what it was and it wasn't super sexy. But if you, you know, if you looked at multiple levels of levers of growth, including, you know, performance improvement, acquisition and new club builds, different territories, and the fact that we were actually the first institutional money in there, um, we felt like we could do pretty well. The thing that actually hurt us to some extent was the secret got out as soon as TSG invested and they improved the business, but they also attracted a lot more capital. So it became, mm-hmm. our strategy became replicated. And Sure. So, you know, Omar, as you looked at the current state of the market, you know, we've got people calling us up saying, oh, the health club industry, it's dead. Everyone's going to start working out at home. What are these groups going to do? How quickly are they all going to file for bankruptcy? I obviously take a much more radical view in the other direction saying, you know, the humans have been around for 150,000 years. We've probably got the smartest people ever dealing with, you know, knowledge and science. Uh, You know, we might come back and and say, wow, I can't believe everyone was just freaked out that, you know, we were going to live in this masked, you know, six feet distance society for more than the next six months, which inevitably will happen. But how do you view taking advantage of, not in a bad way, but capitalizing on the opportunity here to say, you know, I want to take over as many new locations as I can. Obviously, your fixed rent is is the biggest expense in your business model. Um, so how do you think about calibrating, you know, being overly aggressive and saying, look, I know what where the future is, but, you know, I don't need to do anything tomorrow. You know, these opportunities are going to kind of maybe be more obvious and I'm not going to miss you know, a triple A site in three months from now, because I'm going to have my choice and I don't really need to place an, I don't need to make an early bet. Like I'll, I'll make a bet when I'm ready, when I got real visibility on when things are going to get back to normal. So maybe give us a little bit of, of that before we close here. Yeah. So look, I think, you know, fitness isn't going away and long-term when we get through this, there will be probably a more pronounced difference between the winners and the losers. So, you know, we obviously believe Planet will be a long-term winner. We got the lowest cost structure, lowest price, biggest market share, 
than kind of the easiest uh, model to scale. It could be, you know, a lot of ups and downs before you get to, you know, the finish line um, or to the other side. And so we are probably, you know, cautiously looking for opportunities. You know, a lot of my clubs are in the New York, Connecticut area. Those are probably going to open up a lot later. We have some in the South that are opening up in a couple of weeks. And so I think we are um, being conservative with cash, but still looking at opportunities. One opportunity, obviously, is, you know, I think the real estate market's going to correct a little bit. Um, To your point, you know, I don't know if I need to rush because, you know, I don't know if there's any better tenants than us for a 20,000 square foot box, right? I mean, you know, Staples isn't going to be any better and there's not a lot of health clubs that are going to go in there and everything else can be Amazon. And that was going to happen anyway. This just accelerated that. So I think new club development will be interesting and I'm actually much more excited about it because, you know, there's going to be just less capital going into those, those retail spaces. I think the second thing is there probably will be some acquisition opportunities. It could be small acquisitions with a little A, like buying membership list. There's obviously a number of brand name competitors that are already filing for bankruptcy, going to be closing some um, sites. There could be a lot of small independents that just unfortunately don't have the access to capital that big branded players do like us. And so, you know, there you may be stepping into some lease, real estate is tight. You may be taking over members. You may buy the whole thing and convert it into planet like we did last year with one of our independent competitors in Connecticut. So I think there'll be a lot of opportunities and there'll probably be even bigger consolidation longer term. But we don't think there's any shortage of ways to play offense. I think we feel like we can take market share. Um, and then as things stabilize, you know, uh, the fitness market's going to explode because the two things fitness offers that people underappreciate is one, it makes you better physically, right? Which is important, um, to get your immunity up in <laughs> these sort of times, but two, you know, psychologically, I mean, this is a tough period, right? And so your mental health really improves if you just get those, uh, you know, those chemicals popping. And so, you know, we can get people in our clubs and they can stay six feet apart and be pretty darn safe um, and, you know, get all the benefits of exercise. And it's a lot easier to do that outside the home than inside the home because, you know, you get better energy and you're not as disciplined and all that other stuff. So we think there's always going to be a need for for fitness outside the home. Yeah, I was watching, I don't know, some talking head on CNBC yesterday. And she was like, I'm not going into a health club. That place is a Petri dish. And I'm like, a Petri dish? It gets cleaned every 30 minutes. It's the cleanest Petri dish you're ever going to find, honey. It's probably cleaner <laughs> than going to your office downtown, in all seriousness, right? Oh, jeez. Cleaning constantly. <laughs> yeah. So, so in closing here, um, well, one, congrats on a success, man. I'm really uh, proud to be your friend and impressed with what you've been able to build. Um, you got any quotes that you live by that we can add to our uh, – Little library here are things that are uh, Omarisms. Uh, well, let's see. Um, I guess one quote that my track uh, coach taught me was that uh, the reach, your reach should exceed your grasp. And uh, that's something I really try to live by to uh, try to do a little bit more than you think you're able to do. And uh, that really has stretched me in a lot of ways, humbled me, but also stretched me in a lot of ways. So gotcha. We're, you know, when we and I talked that we'd be over like a hundred units, you know, by now, like that's crazy. Right. But that's yeah. good- true. You know, after I was, after I was watching the NFL combine, 
uh, from my, uh, the comfort of my home, I decided to check out what my wingspan was because I'm looking at all these guys' stats. So I got a pretty big wingspan. I got a 76-inch wingspan. So I decided to add that to the bio on my website. <laughs> so 48, I consider myself still undrafted, but we had some good times and some good games back in the day. And okay. uh, great, great to reconnect with you. We're doing our Halo Academy. So we got your uh, Omar Simmons franchising and private equity case study fully copyrighted and paid for. Uh, so I will, uh, I will be showcasing you and maybe we'll have you do a, uh, a little cameo appearance at the end of that to say, here's the, the, the man behind the, uh, behind the curtain on exult here. Anytime, man. Anytime. I could have hooked you up on that case, by the way, but that's all right. Yeah, no worries. Don't worry. Yes, worry. Anything I could help HPS add a little more <laughs> money to their endowment fund. I mean, why not? Right. Exactly. All right, buddy. Hey man, great to see you. Appreciate your time. Give your family my best and your wife. And uh, we'll see you in the gym. All right, brother. Look All right, buddy. Thanks, Bye. my man. Bye. This is Pete Moore. As you know, I am a big believer in personal development. I got a time-saving opportunity here for you, recommending Dan Millman's Four Purposes of Life. Go to audible.com forward slash Halo Talks. You want to register there, get a free audio book. It's $14.95 a month thereafter giving you things that I do to make myself better and hopefully it makes you better. Go Halo. Let's play to win.